what it looks like to live as the people of the one who has freed us from our sins by his blood. What does it look like to live as citizens of his kingdom now? What is it like to follow Christ? Revelation was written to seven churches in uh, Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And in the opening chapter of Revelation, John sets up what is to come with a call to hear. There's a blessing for those who hear. Uh, The God who is speaking is a God who is worth hearing. And John even tells the story about how Jesus came to him in this glorious vision, this symbolic vision of majesty and glory, and told him to write to the seven churches. And as we come to chapters 2 and 3, we have the first message that Jesus wants his churches, all of his churches, to hear. Last week we saw the message to the church in Ephesus, a specific message to that specific church that's also a message for all churches of all time. Today we're going to look at the second message in this series of seven messages tailored to these seven churches, and it's the message to the church in Smyrna. In Revelation 2, verses 8 through 11. Let's begin by reading uh, this passage of Scripture together. And uh, since these words are breathed out by God and come with the very authority of Jesus Christ himself, if you're able, would you please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word? In Revelation 2, 8 through 11, the Holy Spirit says, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, The words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, The devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. Many of us, when we first heard the gospel, heard the gospel through the words of John 3.16. Say it with me if you know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. There are a couple different translations uh, represented just there, and that's fine. I think we all got the message. We know uh, those words, if we're in Christ, we've heard those words, that God loved the world. He sent his son so that we wouldn't perish, but have everlasting life. And the call to believe in Jesus is this promise of everlasting life. It sounds great. It's wonderful. It's what we want. 
But that everlasting life that we're promised comes after a really difficult life this side of eternity. And often, um, we don't think about what life is like before that everlasting life continues into eternity. Being a Christian, following Jesus in this life is hard. To be faithful to Christ, to choose to follow Jesus and go His way instead of the way of the world is difficult. It's a life of difficulty. And often it seems like it would be easier just to live today in this life for this life. And the way that the rest of the world lives this life instead of trying to follow Jesus and go against the grain of the world and how everyone else who's living this life is living their life. The church in Smyrna was experiencing just how difficult life, the life of following Jesus is. You know, these seven messages to the seven churches are written to churches really in a variety of different situations. Some of them were not being faithful in their witness. We saw that in Uh, the church in Ephesus last week, uh, some of them were compromising with the world and giving in to uh, the the way of the world. And we're going to see that a little bit in the church in Pergamum next week. Uh, But some of them were being faithful and, and they were just experiencing tribulation and hardship and they were weary and they needed to be encouraged. And and that's the church in Smyrna. They knew how difficult life Uh, following Jesus in this world really is. And what we see in Jesus' message to them and to us is that Jesus calls us to live this life for the next life. Jesus calls us to live this life for the next life. And over the course of these four verses, we see how we do that. How do we live this life for the next life? Well, first, we trust the resurrected king. Trust the resurrected king. As Jesus gives this message to the church in Smyrna, he begins by identifying himself in verse 8. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. In each one of these messages to the seven churches, Jesus identifies himself a particular way, and he identifies himself with a detail that comes from uh, that opening vision of chapter 1, the vision that he showed John of himself in his glory and splendor. And each uh, message, each time he identifies himself, he chooses a detail that is relevant to the particular situation of the church and the message that they need to receive. In this case, he identifies himself as the first and the last and the one who died and came to life. And we can see that part of the vision. If you look back at Revelation 1, 17 and 18, John uh, saw this glorious Christ and fell at his feet as though dead. But Jesus laid his right hand on him saying, fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. 
and to this church in Smyrna and their situation, what they needed more than anything was a vision of who Christ is as the first and the last and the one who died and came to life. So first he identifies himself as the first and the last. Jesus is the origin of all things. He is the first. He is also the goal of all things. He is the last. Paul says, from him and through him and to him are all things. What we see in this title of the first and the last is that Jesus is the sovereign king. And he is the sovereign king of this life and the next life. Everything that we experience in life is under his reign. Everything that the church in Smyrna experienced, they needed to know, was under his reign as the first and the last. When we experience tribulation for the sake of Christ, it's under the reign of the first and the last. When we experience poverty for the sake of Christ, it is under the reign of the first and the last. When we face imprisonment for the sake of Christ, it's under the reign of the first and the last. When we face death for Christ, it is under the reign of the first and the last. This is the one that the church in Smyrna was suffering for, the one who is the first and the last. But not only that, he is also the one who died and came to life. This Lord that we are called to follow is the Lord who was crucified and rose again. And following a Christ who was crucified and risen means a couple of things. One, to follow in the footsteps of a Lord who was crucified means death comes with the territory of following Christ. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Death comes with the territory of following a crucified Lord. In some ways, Jesus identifying himself to the church in Smyrna as the one who died is to say, the death you are going to face is not weird. It's not abnormal. It comes with the territory. You're following me. Nothing has gone wrong just because you are facing death. But not only does death come with the territory, what's also true is that because Jesus died and rose again, we don't have to fear death if we are in Christ. Because in Jesus' death, Jesus defeated the devil who has power over death. The devil is known throughout uh, Revelation in particular as the, the accuser, the one who accuses. And this devil wants to accuse us of sin, wants us to be guilty before God. But in the, at the cross, Jesus took our sins on himself and he took the wrath of God and the condemnation of God that our sins deserve so that he could disarm the devil and he has no more accusations that he can land on those who are in Christ Jesus took our sins. Jesus was condemned for us. And if we trust in, 
in Jesus, the devil may be able to persecute us. The devil may be even able to kill us, but he cannot condemn us. He cannot make us receive the wrath of God because Jesus has taken that for us. The devil can take away this life, but he can't take away our everlasting life because we trust the king who conquered death. If he rose, we will rise. The sting of death is gone for those who are in Christ, the one who died and who came to life. So I wonder, have you trusted the resurrected king? The one who is the first and the last who died and came to life. Have you trusted the resurrected king with your life? Jesus died to save you from eternal death. Jesus rose to provide everlasting life for you. Don't get so caught up in this life and these days and this world and going through the motions of all that this life entails that you neglect the one who can give you eternal life, the one who can give you life after death. Trust in Jesus and his death in your place. Trust in Jesus and his resurrection to give you eternal life forever with God. If you have any questions about what it means to trust in Jesus for eternal life or what, it, what the gospel is or, or how you can be a part of the family of God, um, I'm going to be over here at the end of the service, and I would love to pray for you if you'd like that or to talk with you, answer any questions you have. Don't just settle for living for this life. Trust the one who can give you eternal life. Trust the resurrected King. Second, if we are to live this life for the next life, that means we must not cling to this life. Don't cling to this life. As he continues, Jesus tells the church in Smyrna that he knows and sees their current circumstances. Look at verse 9. I know your tribulation and your poverty but you are rich, and the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. This church in Smyrna, these believers were trying to stay faithful to Christ, and they were encountering tribulation and poverty and slander. And their Lord Jesus speaks into their situation and says, I see. Your struggle for me doesn't go unnoticed. Your pain that you're enduring hasn't escaped my sight. I see, I know, I'm with you. He describes their situation. Uh, first, he describes um, economic tribulation that they were facing. They were facing tribulation, and he says that they were facing poverty. So it seems that tribulation that they were experiencing was economic in nature. And uh, as we look at the Roman Empire of this time and the culture of, of Smyrna, one of the things that's important to understand is that a big part of the Roman Empire at this time was the imperial cult. Uh, there was a religious component to life within the Roman Empire. 
in this imperial, imperial cult, uh, Caesar was actually worshipped as divine. And this was not just a little side uh, issue. This wasn't just like kind of a sub, uh, subculture. This was a facet of the entire culture of this time. It was, uh, it was embedded in the economy of uh, different villages and cultures. It was part of every aspect of life in Smyrna. If you wanted prosperity, if you wanted success, you had to participate in practices associated with emperor worship. And so for Christians who rejected idolatry, for Christians who only worshipped Christ and would not have Caesar as Lord, but only Jesus as Lord, uh, they were not able to prosper and get ahead and succeed because they were not willing to compromise for the sake of Christ. And so faithfulness to Christ for them meant poverty. John is going to see a vision in Revelation 13 that gives a greater picture of what's going on in terms of the poverty that the church in Smyrna and other Christians experience. There in Revelation 13, John sees a vision of a beast who has authority, just like the Roman Empire had authority over the known world at this time. John also sees a, another beast, a false prophet, who makes the inhabitants of the earth worship the beast, just like the imperial cult made the citizens of the Roman Empire worship Caesar. And in that vision in Revelation 13, what John sees is that no one can buy or sell without loyalty to the beast, just like the Christians in Smyrna were experiencing poverty because they were not willing to give their loyalty to the emperor or the Roman government, but instead only had loyalty toward Christ. So in this vision of Revelation 13, whenever the Christians in Smyrna received that, I have no doubt that what they thought first was, that's us. That's our situation. We're facing this as well. They were facing economic tribulation because of their faithfulness to Christ. They were also facing slander. Jesus says that they were experiencing slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. So these were People who were ethnically Jewish, ethnic uh, Jews, but who were, Jesus says, not real Jews and in terms of salvation, in terms of God's covenant. They're not real Jews, but are instead a synagogue of Satan. Uh, this is very similar to a teaching that Jesus gave in John chapter 8, in the Gospel of John. He spoke to the Jews there about what it means to be a true child of Abraham. And he says that being a true child of Abraham is not about biologically descending from Abraham. Being a true child of Abraham means loving Jesus. And so he said, Jesus said to the Jews, the ethnic Jews in front of him, that you claim that God is your father, but God is not your father. Jesus looked at these people and he says, you are of your father, the devil. Well, that's what Jesus is describing here, too. These are people who are ethnically Jews, but they're not real Jews in terms of salvation. Instead, Jesus calls them a synagogue 
of Satan. And these Jews were slandering the Christians in Smyrna. This slander likely meant that they were accusing the Christians, the church in Smyrna, of not being loyal to the emperor as all Roman citizens were supposed to be. Uh, And now the Jews also didn't worship Caesar as Lord, but in the Roman Empire, um, the Judaism actually got to have religious liberty. They were a special exempt religion. Christianity did not have religious liberty. And so the Jews were able to hide behind their religious freedom and persecute these Christians by accusing them of not being loyal to the emperor, by accusing them before uh, the watching world of not being um, loyal, not paying homage to Caesar. They could point out the church's failure to worship, which, again, because it was such a key part of this culture, was not just a religious claim, but they were seen as unpatriotic for being loyal to Christ, or even treasonous. Think about Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego and Daniel, a similar thing happened where it was their loyalty to their God uh, that ended up getting them in trouble when they were failing to worship King Nebuchadnezzar. The call to follow Jesus is a call to love him more than you love this life. The call to follow Jesus is a call to love him more than you love this life church in Smyrna gave up all of the pleasures and benefits of this life in view of the next life. There's a lot to love in this life. There's a lot that can be really appealing. Things like financial success, things like professional advancement, things like having a status in your community. Things like comfort, popularity. But what happens when you're trying to be faithful to Christ and these things are threatened? Your opportunity for financial success is threatened. Your opportunity to get ahead in your career is threatened. Your status in your community, your reputation among people, your comfort, your popularity. What happens when you can't be faithful to Christ and maintain these things anymore? Are you willing to accept that following Jesus may mean you don't get to make as much money as the next guy? Are you willing to accept that following Jesus may mean people think you're unpatriotic for how loyal you are to Jesus? Are you willing to give up those things that we love and enjoy about this life? For the sake of Jesus. Following Jesus means poverty in terms of this life. But those who choose Jesus are the ones who are truly rich. Did you notice that? He says, I know your poverty, but you are rich. The church in Smyrna, they were not financially irresponsible they chose the greater treasure the treasure of knowing christ and the treasure of reward in heaven jesus in luke chapter 6 as he is giving what we know as the beatitudes 
says a couple of key things that we ought to pay attention to. In Luke 6 and verse 20, Jesus said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And in verses 22 and 23, Jesus says, Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. Those who choose Jesus are the ones who are truly rich. So as we seek to live for, uh, live this life for the next life, choose true riches and don't cling to this life. Next, be faithful unto death. Be faithful unto death. In verse 9, Jesus tells the church in Smyrna that he knows what they are going through in the present. He sees what they are experiencing now. But in verse 10, he warns them it's going to get worse. Look at verse 10. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. So Jesus tells the church in Smyrna that they need to prepare themselves because the devil is about to imprison them. Now, one of the things that is happening in the book of Revelation, all throughout Revelation, is that Jesus wants his churches to see the unseen forces that are behind life as we can see it. So what the church in Smyrna is going to see in their experience is the Roman government putting some of them into prison. That's what they are going to see. But Jesus says there's a reality behind what they can see. Behind that, the devil is at work, and he's using the Roman government as his instrument to attack these Christians. I mentioned Revelation 13 before, and again, this sheds light on what is going on behind the scenes. In Revelation 12 and 13, John again sees the curtain pulled back of unseen forces behind this reality that the church in Smyrna sees. In Revelation 12, uh, John sees a vision of the devil. And the vision he sees is of a dragon who makes war on the people of Christ. Then in Revelation 13, the devil, the dragon, gives the beast his power. The beast we talked about before from Revelation 13. So here, what's going on in Smyrna is that Jesus is saying the devil is going to give Rome power to persecute the church in Smyrna. They are going to be imprisoned. The devil is going to put them in prison. So what he says they are going to face is that the devil himself, Satan, is going to be waging war on them. 
And he is going to use as his tool the most powerful empire the world had ever seen. This is what's about to come against them. The devil himself, the powerful Roman Empire. But even though the devil is pulling the strings on this powerful empire, Jesus is still the first and the last. Even though the devil is at work, Jesus is greater. Even though the Roman Empire had more power than anybody else in the world, Jesus had infinitely more power. And he was at work. And the sovereign king had a sovereign purpose in this suffering. And the sovereign purpose of the sovereign king was to test them, he says. This is going to happen. The devil is going to do this. You're going to be in prison that you may be tested. The sovereign king had a sovereign purpose. And he says they're going to be tested for 10 days. Now, that term 10 days uh, it should be a signal. It's, it's not meant to be a literal 10 days of imprisonment. Instead, that 10 days is a reference to the book of Daniel. In uh, the book of Daniel, written by the prophet Daniel, he tells the story about how he was one of several gifted young men uh, who were uh, exiles from Judah, taken into captivity into Babylon, and he and other gifted young men were employed in the service of King Nebuchadnezzar. Part of the uh, perks, if you will, of being uh, one of these uh, young men in the king's service was that they actually got to eat the gourmet food that the king normally was the only one who got to eat. The problem was that for Daniel and the others who were uh, 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 people of God at that time is that a lot of the foods at the king's table uh, would have violated the dietary laws um, of uh, the, the old covenant. And so Daniel and his friends, wanting to be faithful to their God, asked their supervisor if instead of eating all of the foods of the king's table, if they could only have uh, vegetables and water for 10 days. And the text of Daniel says they were tested for 10 days. And at the end of that test... It, the, men, the young men from Judah who only ate uh, according to God's law were far healthier than the rest of the young men who didn't eat according to God's law. So this test of 10 days had these test results. The results were Daniel and his friends were faithful to their God and God rewarded them. Well, as Jesus says that the people in Smyrna, his people are going to be tested for 10 days, this is his promise to them as well. Just like Daniel, be faithful to me and I will reward you. Jesus says, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Jesus calls us as his people in this life to be faithful and to be faithful unto death. Jesus calls us to be loyal to him even if it costs us our life. And we need to recognize that to be faithful unto death is, a, is about much more than just answering the question, would you be willing to die for Jesus? It's far more than just that moment of death, that ultimate sacrifice. Being faithful to Jesus is more about answering the question, will you live for Jesus? 
Not just will you die for him. Will you live for Jesus? Will you stand for the truth even when it costs you? Will you love like Christ when no one else around you does? Will you give up comfort to give to the cause of Christ? To live this life for the next life means being faithful to Jesus through this life and being faithful in life and in death. And if we will, if we will be faithful to Jesus in this life, Jesus promises us eternal life. He promises this crown that is eternal life. This is the crown not of a, a king or a ruler, but the crown uh, that an athlete would have been awarded. It was a, a wreath of leaves that was put on the head of someone who had, uh, had won an athletic competition. Jesus promises that if we will remain faithful till the finish line, he will award us with the prize of eternal life. Faithfulness to Jesus is hard. Faithfulness to Jesus sometimes means persecution and tribulation and poverty and prison and death, but it's worth it because on the other side of a life of faithfulness unto death is life with Jesus forever. So may we be faithful unto death. And then finally, don't fear death. Don't fear death. As we seek to live this life for the next life, we must not fear death. Jesus concludes this message to the church in Smyrna with a promise in verse 11. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. So what is this second death? To get that answer, turn with me to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. At the end of Revelation 20, John sees a vision of the final judgment. And uh, let's pick it up in verse 10 and then read to the end of the chapter. Revelation 20, starting in verse 10. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The Bible teaches that there are two deaths. Two deaths. The first death is the physical death that 
all of us as humans will experience until Jesus returns. The first death is that moment when our eternal soul is separated from this failing body. The first death is the death that the church in Smyrna was going to face at the hand of the beast. The second death is both a physical death and a spiritual death. The second death, though, is not just a moment. The second death is eternal, as verse 10 said, day and night, forever and ever. The second death is everlasting torment under the wrath of God. The second death is that perishing that John 3.16 talks about. The second death is a death that we all deserve because we have all sinned against an infinitely holy God. But Jesus says, the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. So it's incumbent upon us to answer the question, How do we conquer? How can it be said of us that we will not be hurt by the second death? If you're still in Revelation 20, flip back a few pages to Revelation 12 and verse 11. Revelation 12, verse 11 says, And they have conquered him. How? By the blood of the Lamb and by the word of God. Of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. How do we conquer? How can it be said of us that we will not face the second death? Well, it's all of the things we've already seen Jesus tell the church in Smyrna. We conquer by the blood of the Lamb, we conquer as we trust the resurrected King. If you want to conquer, if you want it to be said of you that you will not be hurt by that second death, place your faith in the blood of the Lamb to make you right with God. If you trust in your works, you will face the second death. If you trust in your performance to make you right with God, if you trust in your church attendance to make you right with God, if you trust in your good deeds to make you right with God, you will face the second death. But if you trust in Jesus' work, you will have eternal life. If you trust in Jesus' death to forgive you of your sins, your name is written in the book of life. If you trust in Jesus' resurrection to give you eternal life, your name is in the book of life. And you will experience not the second death, but eternal life. We conquer as we Choose not to cling to this life, but choose instead to be faithful unto death. To not just have a moment of faith, but a life of faith. To keep holding on. To hold on to the gospel, not just for a moment, but to hold on to the gospel for life. To keep on holding on to the word of our testimony, the gospel. To continue in the faith to the end. To continue in faithfulness to Jesus. To continue to love not our lives. 
in the face of tribulation, in the face of poverty, in the face of prison, in the face of death, hold on to Jesus. Be faithful unto death. And Jesus says, you will receive the crown of life. The church in Smyrna could face even death because it was only the first death. They could face the first death because Jesus promised them they would not be hurt by the second death. And likewise, if we trust in Jesus, we may face the first death, but we will not be hurt by the second death. So don't fear death. Live this life for the next life. Trust the resurrected king. Don't live for this life. Be faithful unto death, knowing that in Christ we don't have to fear death. This morning, we get to celebrate the one who died and came to life by taking the Lord's Supper.